And so we're not going to uh, look under every leaf on the tree of these verses, but we're going to hopefully have the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and lead us in the way of the hope of Jesus. And so let's read Romans 5. We're just going to read verses 2 through 5 this morning. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the songs that we've sang and the truth that they've contained that remind us that we have hope. We thank you for the pictures, for the words, for the prayers, but mostly we thank you for you being who you are, the God who is our rock of ages, the one who is our light in our darkness, the one who in a dry and weary land is our river of life. And may we know you more as such today. Holy Spirit, convict us, show us where we need to change, and comfort us and call us forth with the power of the gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm making an assumption here, but I want to ask a question as we get started. When did you lose your hope? When did you lose that childlike hope that really wants something and thinks you might get it? When growing up, maybe around Christmas, did you stop saying, I can't wait. It's worth it going through all these meals and all this shopping because at the other end of this, I might actually receive that thing that my heart longs for. Somewhere you probably lost your hope because you were disappointed. Somewhere you probably lost your hope because you found out that maybe you lived in a world that was more hype than reality. Some of you may have never had much hope because you learned very fast or were taught by someone that hope, getting your hopes up, is just a good way to get disappointed. Now I want to ask a second question. When did you decide that that was maturity? Who told you that a mature adult is someone who doesn't have much hope? If you're going to be able to survive in the world, then you have got to lower your hopes. Last week we talked about peace. And I bet there's some of you in here, and I bet there's some part of all of us in here who have a story going on in our head that if I want to have peace, then I can't have hope. You've said the only way that I, I might go insane if I have hope. If I have hope in my marriage, if I have hope in my relationships, if I have hope in my work, if I have hope in my heart, and if you're really honest, if I have hope in God, that is just a recipe for me going crazy. There's a movie I haven't seen, but I came across this quote, Clockwise, and it says in the movie, it's not the despair... I can take the despair. It's the hope I can't stand. 
I want to say that again. I can take the despair. It's the hope I can't stand. Why does that kind of make sense in our world? Because hope can put you to shame. It is embarrassing and painful to put your hope in something and have it just let you down. Hope, you may hear this, right? This isn't some sentimental Christian Advent word. Hope is scary. Hope is putting all the chips in on something, not just at the level of your head, but the level of your heart. And we won't even talk about the, the Tennessee Vol football fans in here this morning for the sake of time. But if that helps you get there, go there. You didn't want to have hope. Right? Been down the hope road before. It's probably also why some of you think that you're a chill person. And you're really just a person who's afraid to hope. Somewhere you've learned that hope is a way that makes it harder to endure. One person online, I found these message boards, it's interesting how people in the world who aren't Christians, everybody's talking about the same stuff we're talking about. We've got a lot of common ground. And in this one uh, sort of non-Christian space, somebody was writing about why people think it's hard to talk about hope, why it's a frustrating issue. And this person said, well, lucky you, in sarcasm, it probably means that you haven't endured processes beyond a certain threshold of endurability. The person writes, having endured one, I can tell you that the thing about them is that you can endure them psychologically as long as you don't give yourself hope. That's a lot of the mindset that, our, that the world around us is living in, and it may be the mindset that you've been living in. But hope in the scriptures is not a personality trait. Hope in the scriptures is about the character that we have in Christ. Hope is about the future, but hope is about the present. But we've got to do justice with the fact that many of us resent hope more than we rejoice in hope. But as humans, we were created for hope. I mean, just imagine our, our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, in the garden. Every day was full of this hope. What, what are we going to find out next? What more about God will we experience? Ourselves, our relationship, His creation. But then they rebelled because they did not hope in God. They decided to hope in themselves. And it broke everything. But one thing that we know is that although hope was broken, hope was not taken away from our humanity. To be human is to hope. God doesn't want us to put hope away to protect ourselves from our humanity. He wants to redeem it. He doesn't want us to believe the lie that if you're going to have peace, then you can't have hope. Or sanity, even. But this is a more mature hope. 
It's not less than a childlike faith that is expectant, that is dependent, that is confident, but it's more than about just getting what you want. It's about trusting God to be the one who gives you everything that you need. It's a hope that courageously believes in a future reality that invades your present experience. It's a hope that Romans 5, 1 through 11, 2 through 5 this morning is talking about, that we dare to live a life of hope, that as Christians, as a countercultural community in our world, in a world of despair, in a world of sarcasm, in a world of cynicism, in a world that says, just get ready, the, 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 the rug's going to be come out from underneath your feet in the end, in a world that is marked by shame, that we would be a people whom the world says, that's the people of hope. So how do we do that? We must find a hope that delivers. We've got to find a hope that delivers in a world of disappointment. The first way we do that in our text is we've got to find hope as a location. So it can't just be an idea. It's got to be a location. And we see this in verse 2. It says, through him, that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's described at the end of verse 1, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice these location words. We have obtained access. What's that talking about? Access where? Well, it says, into this grace. And what is this grace? Well, verse 1 taught us last week, as Val preached on this verse. We have been reconciled with God. We have been justified by faith. We have a relationship with God so that now we can stand in the presence of a holy God whom we were created to walk with in the cool of the day, just like Adam and Eve were. Through Jesus Christ... You have access to God like Adam and Eve did. Now that's amazing. You have a VIP pass backstage into the location of the presence of the triune God of the universe. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? We rejoice in the hope of being in His presence. A hope that has invaded our current reality, but a hope that we know one day is going to be ultimately consummated and fulfilled as we stand in His presence, not only in His glory, but we being glorified. That's where you live. But I wonder if that's where you realize in your day-to-day -day life that you're located. The first Christmas after my mama died, the one that sort of held, held together the fabric of a certain side of our family, I, I remember me and my first cousin, we, like, we couldn't go to the house. We couldn't go to her house, right? I mean, this is where you pull up and get out the presence. This is where this is where the magic happens. And even if it's not in her house, when she walks in the door, right? She's she just kept getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> so at the end, you know, she's walking in 
and she's just smiling and she's got some kind of seven or 27 green bean salad thing or whatever. I probably wouldn't eat, but I'm still happy to see her coming in the door with. And all of a sudden now, this location was not a location of peace or hope. It was a location of despair because it was so... What was missing was so big, was so powerful, was so painful. And you start to think crazy thoughts like, maybe we just need to be, disband the family so we don't have to be reminded of how sad this is. Now that may sound depressing, but Sometimes there are certain locations we find ourselves at in life or certain seasons of our life we find ourselves in that are so overwhelming it seems like there's no way that we can have hope. A season in a relationship, a season in your church, maybe a season in your missional community, a, a season in, a, a, maybe it's a room in your house. Maybe it's a dent in the wall of your house you walk into and you're like, oh wow, I remember what I did there. How do we have hope? You know, there's, there's going to be people who are homeless on Christmas Day. There's people that I know and have known in this neighborhood, they won't know Christmas was yesterday on the day after Christmas. That's a location people live in. There's kids whose parents are addicts. They're going to sleep through Christmas. I'm not making that up. Just go talk to some people. Mom and dad are going to be passed out through Christmas. They're going to be walking around while their friends are opening up toys. And they're going to have to go to school and teachers are going to have to say, tell me about your Christmas. There's going to be people this year divorced for the first time. First Christmas they've had. There's, going to, there's war in our world. Right? There's bombs that are going to be going off on Christmas Day. There's loneliness. There's hurt. There's resignation. And you've got your own story. Now how do you have hope in a world like that? How do you have hope to be a follower of Jesus who steps into those situations instead of trying to just turn the volume up on your distractions so you don't have to deal with them? How are we a people of hope in our own stories and in a world with a story like that? It's because we know that's not our only location. We may walk in a dark world of horrible and hard times, but we walk as those who walk in the presence of God who is with us. We have got to learn to locate ourselves if we want to have hope. We have got to say the same thing that the Spirit through Paul is saying to this small, fledgling church that is under the persecution of the empire of Rome. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God as we meet in secret and as our leaders have their heads taken. We've got to see hope as a location if we want to have a hope we can depend on in a world of disappointment. How do you do that? You've got to, you've got to, how do you locate yourself? 
you got to ask yourself, where am I? Okay, you're walking into the holidays, you're walking into these spaces, you're walking into your everyday life, and all of a sudden the fog's starting to set in, right? That fog is coming. As one song I've recently, recently heard and learned, it, at Christmas, right, everybody's going to say, chill out, man, be happy, right? Right? So the fog's going to start coming, and it's Christmas, and no one can fix it. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to help others? First thing is, where, where are you? If, if, I'm, if I'm walking in and Mama's not there, right? Where am I? Okay, I'm in 1985, right? And the burgundy uh, Camaro is not in the shed. And I'm just getting, I'm just getting sad. I got to own that, right? I don't need to stuff that. I got to bring it out. I got to take it to the Lord. And I might need to cry a little with him. I might need to reach out to somebody and say, I'm not, even, I'm not even in 2022. But I can't stay there. Now I got to ask the God, ask God, where am I? And now I got to let him talk to me. And I got to have a reminder of Romans 5 too. I got to be reminded what Paul says elsewhere. I've been seated in heavenly places. I've got to be reminded of that access I have. That I'm not going to be walking into any living room. I'm not going to be walking into any situation, any season, any act of service in this neighborhood that he will not walk with me. And I got to stand there. I got to stand there and hope. That nothing may be fixed perfectly today, but he is with me. And one day, I will enter his glory. This is why Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are passing away, but those things that are unseen are eternal. And if you think Paul don't know heartache, that he can call it light momentary affliction, just go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For this dude's getting beat, run out of town, left for dead, shipwrecked, all the time. But compared to the hope of the glory of God, he can go on. He lives a located life. Well, that sounds hard. Well, that ain't going to happen overnight. So now we go to the next part here. So we don't only do this, we live with a hope we can, that delivers by seeing hope as a location, but now I've got to make up a preachery word so it rhymes. We need to see it by musclefication. Now, you can Google that, and other people use that word. So that's just not me doing the lame preacher thing, forcing it in. Not totally, anyway. But musclefication. Notice how we see this. Paul describes hope not just as a place. He describes hope as a process. This is so important. Your hope can grow. Hope can grow. Verse 3, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, 
and character produces hope. Do you see this process here? It sounds like crazy talk to say you can rejoice in your sufferings. Notice Paul doesn't say we rejoice for our sufferings, right? He's not some sadomasochist, and the Bible's not calling you to say, Yay, suffering! No, Jesus wept, Jesus cried, Jesus poured out tears of sweat blood before the Father at the face of suffering. But he did it with hope. Suffering produces endurance. What is endurance? Endurance is resilience, right? If you suffer, we're going to talk in a minute. This isn't automatic, by the way. you got to engage the process. But suffering can produce endurance. It's like a muscle. That's why we're saying musclefication here. A muscle that gets tore down over time grow stronger if it's attended to in the right way. Endurance produces character. Think of character. Character is not just what you do. Character isn't just the type of things you do. Character is the type of person you are. A person who engages this process of suffering through the location we talked about over time grows as a person who's resilient. A person who doesn't check out. A person who endures. And the type of person who keeps doing hard things over a long period of time becomes a certain type of person. And that's ultimately what Jesus is trying to do. Like the fruits of the Spirit. He's not wanting us to just do certain types of things. He's wanting to make us certain kinds of people. And then character... Notice the text says, produces hope. That is, as you endure this process in the grace of the gospel, you grow in your character, as now you're, you say, oh, wow. A lot of things not, not be, be changing out here, but something is changing in here. And hope starts to grow. And what is this hope? It's a confidence that keeps you going not living a life of anxious or detached existence. Eugene Peterson says, hoping does not mean doing nothing. And it's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations or scurrying and worrying. Hoping is not dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it His way and in His time. This is, some people have said, the golden chain of Christian maturity. Maturity is not being a hopeless person. Maturity is being a person who grows in hope. But that only comes through suffering and endurance and character. And we don't like that in our comfort culture. This path of maturity is against everything a consumeristic Christianity would want. It's not flashy. It's not fast. And it is not self-directed. This is the type of hope that comes when 
Jesus is your professor, and he gives you the curriculum. Well, we all got our plans, don't we? I wanna, we all want to be hopeful people. We just want to get to write the syllabus for the class. And that ain't how it works. This is why so many of us, suffering doesn't make us better, but as the cliche goes, it makes us bitter. Because we didn't sign up for this. And this is why it's a growing opportunity. This is where we reveal, do we want to be like Adam and Eve and say, I, I, I'm here to hope in myself and I hope I get some of that goody stuff from God along the way, or do we want to hope in Him? But if we're honest, I think we all know that some of the most hopeful, strong people you've ever met in your life are the people who suffered most and suffered well. None of us want to be those people, but all of us want to be like those people. Crazy? Oh, I, I'd love to have sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so's faith. Well, why don't you go ask them their story? I mean, I've got a friend whose mom just uh, published a book, something like 40 Devotions for Hikers or whatever. And you're thinking, oh, wow, that must be nice. That sounds like a person who's lived a really peaceful, chill life. You know, she's growing in her older years and, and she's been that productive. And, and then you talk to her and you're like, oh, she had a daughter who died at a young age. Her first husband died young of a disease and left four boys with her to raise by herself. Then her second husband, after thinking they were going to live enjoyably into their old age, gets the disease and dies. Brothers-in-law drowning in Alaska. And it's just like, what the heck? You sit down and have coffee with her, you're going to be like, I'd like some of that depth in my life. How'd it get there? I mean, we resent suffering, and we resent hope. I remember when I was young, and I thought about this while we were singing, and I'm adding stuff, and I don't need to. Uh, some of those old, older ladies in our church would get happy in the Lord. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. We'd start singing about heaven. And here goes Sister So-and-So. She'd just rise up out of her seat and start shouting. She had suffered so much in her life that she had walked with Jesus every step of the way. And it's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. And yet there was a hope there. And don't we, we want that hope. When we hit these hard times, we're going to have to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. But I'm trusting that you're going to grow me. So I'm going to endure with faith. I'm going to replenish my body, right? If you work out but you don't eat, it ain't going to help you. I'm going to have to feed myself with the right things. The Word of God, prayer, the spiritual discipline. I'm going to have to do it when I don't feel like it. I'm going to have to do it especially when I don't feel like it. You realize that, don't you? You need to be in God's Word and with God's people, especially when you don't feel like it. Because it's, it's food for hope. I'm going to have to sleep. I'm going to have to rest. Right? Those muscles don't grow. People will tell you that, that growing in muscle weight is about as much as how good you sleep and let your body rest. So you're like, I, have, I might have to revisit my priorities and my schedule so that I can actually have some rest 
And I need relationships, right? Obviously, I'm not a bodybuilder. I've lifted, had somebody, people force me to lift weights in sports before and stuff. And you know what you need? You need a good spotter, you're going to get hurt, right? You need the person who, like, I'm going to try to lift this weight. And sometimes you got too more than you can handle. And in our lives, we're going to have more than we can handle. And we're going to need the Lord and we're going to need some other people to be there to say, let me get that off of you. Or maybe you don't need to do that right now. And the other part of this is there's not just the multiplication, but in this process, there's elimination. So many of us have given up on hope because we put our hope in the wrong places. And there's nothing that shows that than like this process. When you go to suffer, when suffering kicks in and you put your hope in that addictive uh, path in your life, you put your hope in a certain person that you shouldn't have, you put your hope in maybe a church program or personality. There's nothing like hard times to say, oh, wow. Hope wasn't the problem. It's the place that I put my hope was. And God loves us enough to reveal those hard things to us so that he might heal us. The last thing is his goal is not to embarrass. So we find, we find hope, a hope that delivers in a world of disappointment by seeing hope as a location, by finding hope as this musclefication process. But the last thing is we've got to find hope as vindication. Vindication is when in the end you win and you are proven right. Everybody in here likes to be vindicated, whether you say it out loud or not, right? Everybody in here likes to be like, I told you so. Isn't that a good feeling? Even if you don't say it out loud, you're like, I was right. Told you so. Sometimes it's better to not even say it out loud, isn't it? Right? It just feels good. Right? A lot of that's our pride and flesh. We can confess that. But for right now, just get there with me. There's a good part of that feeling too. Right? Nothing wrong with being right. I'm usually not, but especially at home. All right, here we go. Paul comforts them in the reality that they're not being set up to be embarrassed. That this hope he's talking about is not a hope that disappoints. Our, our translation here says, says it's a hope that doesn't put us to shame. Some of you may have a version. Sometimes it's translated. It says he, it's a hope that doesn't leave us disappointed. Leave us shamed in front of everybody. We were the people who made the bad investment and lost all our money. We were the people who bet on the wrong team. You see, coping is different than hoping. How do we know this? It's because it's a hope that's rooted in the love of God poured out in our hearts. This is not what our text says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. What is he saying is that we have this hope of the glory of God, but it's not just a, a maybe hope out there, but it's a hope already that's been installed in us now through the Holy Spirit so that we can live with, with power and confidence in a world that often laughs at us. And if we were looking at our own lives from a worldly perspective, we might laugh at ourselves. But for some reason, the love of God's in our heart. And guess what? You didn't just put that there. That's a miracle. It's an amazing reality that you have an experience of the love of God in your heart that even when you don't feel it by faith that you know that He loves you and that you love Him. 
The Holy Spirit is the, these, these are crude analogies, the Holy Spirit is the down payment that secures the full installment of the glory of God in your life. He's the earnest money, but He's the earnest money that you already get to use and that is already everything. This is hard. It's just hard for us to accept. Why? Because we live so full of our own shame right now. So much of the hopelessness we face in our lives is because we just thought life wouldn't be this way for us. We're anxious. Hard times have come against us. Instead of us being resp responding with the resiliency that we thought that we would, if we're honest, many of us in here have folded so many times. We might not have let other people saw it, saw it, see it, but in our hearts, we've thrown in the towel. Some of you in here maybe have given God the middle finger. Some of you may be sitting in this room this morning just because you don't want somebody to ask you why you're not. And it's, it just feels embarrassing. And you're wrestling, wondering, man, at the end of all this, I, I could have did so much else with my life. Am I going to be embarrassed that I put all the chips in on Jesus? And this is what Paul is saying, is at the end, you're not going to be put to shame. The enemy may every day try to drag you through the dirt with his lies, that your life doesn't matter and it's leading nowhere. But there's coming a day where you're going to stand before the Father. He is going to say, well done, my child. And before all the world, before yourself, He's going to speak a better word over you. Because this is the good news that Christmas leads us to. It's the hope that the eternal Son of God became human and He never stopped hoping. Was there ever a person who had reason to stop giving up hope? Just read the Gospels. And He never stopped hoping. Oh, He cried Oh he, oh, he was in anguish, but he never stopped hoping. Even on the cross, when he cried out from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what his last words from the cross were? Those weren't his last words. His last words were, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And that hope is the good news for us in our lack of hope. We are not saved and set up for the glory of God by the quality of our hope. We are saved and rescued because we have one who has hope for us, who has held the line, who didn't give up, and who bore the judgment that we deserve for being a people who choose to hope in ourselves and everything else but God along the way. And how do we know we can trust that hope? Because the Jesus of Christmas and the Jesus of the cross is the Jesus of the resurrection. This is the hope we have, that the Jesus who now reigns with God before the Father will one day return to bring us home. 
and we will rest with Him forever in that glory. We will not be ashamed. Oh, Mary and Joseph, that was a risk of embarrassment, wasn't it? You're pregnant. I still want you to marry her, even though that's going to be a way to judge all the rest of your lives. In the faith of Mary of Joseph and that baby Jesus, we see the example given to us today. To trust that the one who comes to us in Christmas is the one who conquers for us in the cross and the one who has risen from the dead and the one who will come for us in the end. We find hope as our vindication. We may as earthly fathers and parents have to tell our children at times to not get their hopes up to guard their hearts, but our Heavenly Father is telling us this morning, get your hopes up to guard your heart. Get your hopes up. Get them up, as, as old Daniel, where's he at? It says, big time. Get your hopes up big time for what God's doing in your life and what he's going to do in the end. You're not going to be embarrassed. You're going to have to make some big sacrifices, right? You might lose some friends. You might lose some stuff. You might have to learn a whole new way to live. You will. But Jesus is saying, get your hopes up. It's worth it. Keep your hopes up. Because it may be the hope that kills you, in this world, but it's the gospel hope that keeps you alive now and forever. Because we have hope in a world of disappointment, a hope that delivers. And we come to the Lord's table now to celebrate that, so pray with me as we come to it. Father, we thank you for this morning that you have reminded us through your songs, through your word, through your gospel, that there is hope. As we come to your table now, may it be an experience of hope. May we be a people that even when we grieve, we grieve with hope because you have given your body and your blood for us. And as we come now, may we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we'll come to the Lord's table around these tables. If you're new with us,